Shut up and sit down. Listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast, bringing you this sports show. We've hit the century mark. We'll take a look back on how we got here and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on episode 100 of The Bridge. (laughs) Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome back to another installment of The Bridge, coming to you live on Sports Radio America here on Wednesday, February 7, 2018, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time, to bring you the best and brightest of the sports world. That's right, The Bridge is live on Sports Radio America Monday through Friday with a brand new show on Wednesday nights on the East Coast, though the show is technically pre-recorded. If you do miss the live show, the podcast version of The Bridge is available immediately after the broadcast, which means you can find the newest episode and additional content from the show later on Wednesday night. On iTunes, under The Bridge Sports Podcast, or on my website at londonbridge.com. I'll save all the ways you can listen to The Bridge and where you can find the show until the end of this latest installment. If anything, you can call in or text into the show 24-7 at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Contact the show with your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. All right, let's get into the fun stuff. Give me the siren. One hundred episodes of The Bridge, and what in a hundred episodes it's been. Well, maybe three quarters or so of them. I'd rather not hear how I sounded in the early ones. In this edition of The Bridge Best Of, we'll highlight episodes 50 to 99 since the first Best Of show was done when this show made the move to Sports Radio America at episode 37. But by show 50, the show really started to find its stride with staple segments like sports news read like real news to lead off the show and good try, good effort to end the show. We've since added a gambling segment with Donnie Wrightside, a movie review segment with Joe Barice, Wait Who to pay homage to some of the more unknown athletes in sports, The Drawbridge to compare something now to something then, Run It Back Same Teams, which flashes back to previous interviews had on the show, and the newest segment, The What? highlighting the best sound bites and quotes from the previous week in sports. We've had more than 50 guests through the 49 shows, and I continue to thank my lucky stars that there's still people who will agree to come on a show that they've never heard of with the host they wouldn't know if he fell on them. 
But with that said, here are some of the best segments and best guests from episodes 50 to 99, which you can find at LondonBridge.com or on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast. Let's turn back the clocks a little bit to get started to around this time last year, February 17th, 2017, episode 55. When New York Knicks owner James Dolan tried to take down Knicks legend Charles Oakley. It's time for the number one news anchor parody segment in sports radio. Here's this week's edition of Sports News Red Like Real News. The New York Knicks are currently worth more than $3 billion, but the worth of owner James Dolan to the franchise is less than a large order of Dippin' Dots from the overpriced concessions at Madison Square Garden. Some highlights during Dolan's tenure include Isaiah Thomas, Mike Woodson, Mike D'Antoni, Amari Stoudemire, Mello's No Trade Clause, J.R. Smith's Pipe, and Derek Rose's knees. The best buzz in the past several years has been Jeremy Lin. Years of disappointment came to fruition last week when beloved Nick alum Charles Oakley visited Madison Square Garden to enjoy a basketball game in the vicinity of owner James Dolan. Mere minutes into the contest, Oakley was approached by security and asked to leave at the behest of Dolan and to the disbelief of Charles. Oakley was visibly irate with the garden security, and after an altercation and some shoving, Oakley was taken to the floor, arrested, and taken out of the garden in handcuffs. He was brought to the local precinct before getting released that night. When the video of the incident surfaced, Knicks fans were understandably irate. Oakley and Dolan had different sides to their tale, with Dolan going as far as a spot on the Michael K show, where he called out Oakley for his behavior, suspended him from the garden, and alleged that Oakley was a drunk. Dolan spent more time getting ready for the interview by way of his preparation binder that he brought along than he has in running a professional franchise, also admitting during the interview that he lets others take the reins of some basketball operations of the team. No shit. On Sunday, Dolan doubled down. After flipping through the Knicks' Rolodex, he surrounded himself with as many former players as possible, including Knicks staff Larry Johnson and Bernard King, and the great Vin Baker, who played all but 41 games in the orange and black. Dolan was so desperate for faces, Baker told Huffington Post Jordan Schultz that Dolan sounded really sad and asked if he would come to sit with him. Baker added that he hadn't spoken to Dolan in 15 years. Perhaps the most surprising face to sit on Dolan's lap for the game was Latrell Sprewell, who played five seasons with the Knicks during their last run of success before getting shipped to the Timberwolves. Upon his return to the Garden, Sprewell spent the entire game spewing profanities at Dolan and hadn't spoken to him since. Dolan, however, 
Ever the pimp, wooed Sprewell from his bouncer duties in Wisconsin to join him courtside as a further dig to the oak tree. Thankfully, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver stepped into the matter like a gym teacher does to a scuffle during grade school recess. Dolan the bully was forced to explain himself during a sit-down with Silver and Oakley, along with a special guest via phone, Michael Jeffrey Jordan, also a friend of Oakley's. News then came out that the ban from the garden was reportedly lifted, but Oakley simply asked the commissioner for an apology to the fans. If one apology does indeed come, Dolan should continue to include leading the Knicks to a downward spiral of disappointment. Instead of playing the kazoo for his band, J.D. and the Straight Shot, an instrument about as difficult as escaping a finger trap is to a small child, consider putting the franchise into able hands. Take your briefcase and your preparation binder and do as the hyenas once said to Simba. Run, James. Run away and never return. I'm John Lund for Sports News Red Like Real News. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. When we come back, we'll get back into the best of the bridge part two. We'll be right back on the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. As you heard earlier in the show, you can call in or text into the bridge anytime at 929 bridge seven. That's 929-274-3437. Leave a voicemail or text your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of the bridge. Now we do like to pose a question each show to help give you the urge to call in or text in to the bridge. This week, we want to know, what do you like most about this show and why? Now into some interview highlights from the past 49 shows. First up in episode 53 on February 3rd, 2017, we had the absolute pleasure of interviewing Green Bay Packers legend Jerry Kramer during media week before the Super Bowl, no less. I can now update that description to say Hall of Famer Jerry Kramer, class of 2018. But last year, he was, for whatever reason, still not in. And of course, I asked him about it. Also, a couple years ago, Jerry sold off much of his football memorabilia to start up a college fund for his five grandchildren, but made sure he held on to a Super Bowl ring. Let's hear him talk about both those things. Super Bowl one, final Packer offensive lineman announced during pregame introductions was who? Jerry Kramer. No, it's not Jerry Kramer. It is not Fuzzy Thurston. It is not Gail Gillingham. It is not Fuzzy Zeller. It is not Jim Ringo. What in there? It is not. No, it's, it's not Bill Curry. Who is the goddamn offensive lineman who was announced lastly in that stupid, asinine, crappy, garbage, terrible production game by NFL Network? Who is the offensive lineman? God this is Jerry Kramer, and you're listening to The Bridge. Get after it, Johnny. Yeah, that's a tough question. I haven't allowed myself to go there. Uh, uh, 
I, it would obviously be a wonderful honor and a great thing in the Hall of Fame is the, the top uh, top shelf, the top top of the heap for almost everybody. And I, I I would obviously be very pleased and very flattered to to be considered for that. But I you you tell me that I have had the life that I've had when I left Boise or Sandpoint, Idaho. You tell me that I could have played in a single world championship game, that I might have won one. I would have taken that in a heartbeat. I, I, I just, I have done so much more than I could ever dream. And football has been so much greater to me than so many teams that we've made and so many honors we've been given. And it's just, uh, goes beyond my imagination sometimes and I just think I'm dreaming but it's been a, just a wonderful ride and for me to be upset over one present I didn't get or one honor that was not bestowed on me and to be upset because I had gotten 99 and I didn't get one it seems kind of stupid to me so I refused to let it bother me or really get in, in under my skin and it's just been a wonderful ride, and the game has been great to me, and it still is. It's still been great to me. I'm in my 80s, and I'm still signing autographs and doing speaking engagements and having a wonderful time. So uh, Jerry Kramer uh, has been treated very well by, by football. And as, as the uh, Puerto Rican guy said, football been bitty, bitty good to me. <laughs> You ended up selling several of the items of your memorabilia to create a college fund for your five grandchildren. Super Bowl one ring sold for a decent amount of money. What I found interesting is that you kept your ring from Super Bowl two, and that marked the third consecutive championship that the Green Bay Packers had won, which has still never been done. It was also Vince Lombardi's last game as head coach for the Packers. What made you hold on to that ring? Several things. Uh, first of all, that season that was our, we were trying to win that championship that year to, to be a three-time, three consecutive champion. Never been done before. So Coach Abari gives us an hour and a half speech about the challenge we face and the challenge that we have to overcome to win our third consecutive title and what it will mean for us in history. So it was at the beginning of the season, we start planning on trying to win our third consecutive title. So it was a long season. Uh, teams were waiting for us. They'd been studying our film for three years. They knew everything we were going to do. Um, the worst team in the league is laid back, and he's coming after you with every ounce of energy he has. So it's just a long and difficult season. Uh, the Rams beat us in L.A. Uh, three weeks before the playoffs, and then we beat them 28-7, to 7, I think, in the playoffs and go on to the Ice Bowl. We have a wonderful drive down in the Ice Bowl, and it was uh, at the end of the game, and weather is deteriorating and everything is frozen up, and we are not dominating. Uh, and we had run about 30 plays, and we gained a minus nine yards. 
we had 10 possessions minus nine yards. Right. And uh, so Bart comes into the huddle, and I asked him later, I said, Bart, what made you think you could take that team down the field after they had gained a minus nine yards? They hadn't gained a yard in 31 plays. He said, the look in your eye, look in Forrest's eye, look in Gilly's eye, look in Ski's eye. He said, I knew you knew what we had to do, so all I said was, all right, let's go. So something happened to that team, and I don't know how to explain it except that I have read stories about a lady lifting a car off a baby uh, in a flight or fight response, maybe. Uh, and so there was something that happened to our adrenaline or hormones or our being, and we turned up the dial and we went 65 yards in about four minutes and scored with 13 seconds to to beat the Cowboys and go on to Super Bowl two, and it was a, a big day for me. I had the block on the uh, quarterback sneak, and then they replayed that in the locker room. And Coach Lombardi, Tommy Brookshire, was doing the color, and he said, "Watch, uh, Coach, as Jerry Kramer makes this block on the quarterback sneak," and they play the play and coach goes way to go jerry yeah <laughs> way to go he claps and claws and carries on and this is a nice moment for a lineman you know that doesn't happen to us very often right. so a big moment and then we won the second super bowl our third consecutive title and then again you mentioned that it was the coach's last game so all all of those things combined made it a much more important ring to me our first Super Bowl ring, you know, we it was our like our fourth championship. So it wasn't particularly special. It was nice that it would be a Super Bowl one ring, but Super Bowl wasn't that big a deal, you know, initially anyway. And so it was a bit of a decision between Super Bowl one and Super Bowl two. But uh, seeing the coach's last game and all, I decided that that was the ring I would wear, and so that is the ring that I have worn since I received it. Now to episode 58, March 10th, 2017, featuring Patrick Maher, the host of The Rap, now without the W, on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Channel 82 on Sirius XM. Patrick has come a long way from odd end jobs to Cosmo Radio to Sports Talk and is one of the more fun sports talk shows you'll hear. As part of the fun, Patrick introduced a new segment to his show after some scheduling changes on the channel called The Hot Box, which highlights some of the best sports from each show throughout the day. Come on, even coming out of your mouth, that sounds brilliant, no? But come on, that's a good idea right there. <laughs> All right, kind of a, this is going to be long. When I got the radio, the one thing I realized is that people would always be nice. Radio is the most insecure business on the planet. I met Evan Cullen and Babchick, and they were so genuinely nice to me. And I was blown away because in 10 years, I just would be, people would come up to me and be like, hey man, love the show. Hey man, I think you're awesome. And then two minutes later, somebody would come up and be like, that person was just talking crazy shit about you. I say that to say this. What I thought would be funny is to create a segment where it's all about synergy and we're like, bringing the channel together and clowning on each other. And I thought, you know what? Oddly enough, I think if we 
if we do something, if I do something where I play clips of the other shows and say, objectively, that was really good or this was really bad and treat it like a family, I thought the channel could, could benefit from it because now the channel and the shows are about the shows, right? Because you, really, you don't really tune into sports talk radio to hear my opinion on Brock Osweiler. You do, like, people don't realize, the people that listen to Mad Dog Sports Radio, they care more about the drama than they do about the sports. They just pretend to care about sports. So what I thought would be funny is to play these clips and then have this legit, objective discussion about the minute clips from the shows earlier in the day and do it in a way that's lighthearted, yet in a way also being real about whether or not the segments were good or not throughout the day. And we were going through a transition, as you said. We were going through a transition with the channel, and I'm like, what better way to transition with the channel than to kind of have everybody playing along? Well, it started off as a small idea that turned into the other hosts are, like, texting to be like, who won the hot box today? Did I win? How come? Who? What? What take one? I think Steve Tory, my boss, only listens to the show to see if he won the hot box, which is cool with me because it gets people to listen. But like, Bad Chick will send a five-minute clip because <laughs> he just can't. He can't figure out what he thought was his best clip of the day. And you know, Adam Shine is tweeting about it, and then Nicole and Rick are tweeting about it. And honestly, dude, I just think it's fun. I think it's cool to have a channel that people are into each other as opposed to a channel where people are just secular and all about themselves. So I thought it was a good opportunity to do that. Episode 59, March 17th, 2017, featuring Justin Termini, the host of NBA Today on Sirius XM NBA Radio from 4 to 7 ET with former NBA sixth man star, Eddie Johnson. JT knows his hoops and is one of the best at spitting fiery takes about it, which you'll get a better idea of here with his thoughts on Kevin Durant leaving the Thunder for the Warriors and NBA teams resting players throughout the season. This is Justin Cherpity of Sirius XM NBA Radio. And if you're not listening to me and Eddie Johnson on NBA Today, then you've got to be listening to The Bridge with John Long. When Kevin Durant made the move to leave Oklahoma City and go to Golden State, joining the team that had just knocked them out of the Western Conference playoffs to form this quote-unquote super team that's now a word that's been thrown around with what LeBron's done in Cleveland now in Golden State, and you are not a fan of the move. Please explain. Yeah, I mean, I think it's disgusting. To leave, he had the ability to leave. There were a couple of teams you couldn't go to. From Oklahoma City, you can't go to Cleveland and join up with LeBron James because you're going to be compared to him throughout the course of history. That's like Jordan, and that's like Bird and Magic on air. So you can't do that. That was off limits. you got to beat LeBron. You can't join him. And then the second team was Golden State. They had just won 73 games, historic number the season before, and they just beat you when you had a 3-1 series lead. Uh, so you can't go there. And the championship rings that he's sure to win are something that's not going to carry the weight. But think about what Dirk did back in 2011. Dirk went through the ups. He went through the downs. They lost in the NBA Finals in 2006, 2007. They lost in the first round despite 67 wins. He hit his head against the wall. He kept going. That championship means something. Isaiah Thomas, they get turned back by the Celtics uh, in 87. They come back in 88. They get beat by the Lakers. They come back the following year. He stays there. 
same core, wins a championship in 89, wins one in 90. Those championships mean something because they fought through adversity in order to win them. Durant leaves here in order to tag up for a ring. I'm not counting that ring and putting as much weight onto that ring as I am onto the rings of guys like Isaiah and Dirk, etc. It's the same thing with LeBron's rings. You go down to Miami, you get a ring down there. Does that mean anything? Does that have any? You know, what does that exactly mean? To me, it's it's hollow. Uh, so I got a major issue with it. It's sort of what Ray Allen did to a but to a bigger degree what Durant did because of where he was in his career and the fact that he had never won. Ray Allen was up three two in a series against. Miami. There was a hatred between those two teams. There was a big-time dislike. In fact, that might be the, the most recent rivalry we've seen where there's actually been bad blood because of the Durant, uh, the Garnett scenario and Rondo and Wade and LeBron. There was some genuine dislike between those two organizations. Paul, Pat Riley, and Danny Ainge went at it a couple of times through the media as well. And he leaves not only Boston, but, you know, you could leave again. He could leave Boston if he wants. You can't go to Miami who the year before had just won a championship, he leaves to go to the big rod. Now, you can't do that, and it's very similar to what Durant did, except Durant did it in the prime of his career without having won a championship before, uh, and it was a 3-1 series lead that his team blew. Uh, I don't like it as all, at all. It, it speaks to a lack of uh, – not that Durant's a bad guy, but this speaks to a lack of competitive uh, and basketball integrity, and it's something that he's got to be held accountable for, and I'm going to feel those passions about this. 50 years from now, if I'm writing a book or if I'm if I'm still hosting on NBA radio and I'm explaining the legacy of Kevin Durant to somebody, this is definitely going to be a major line within that legacy transfer. And we'll have to think that the next chapter of that book would be regarding what's become a major trend in the league now, and that's with resting star players early in the season in games maybe deemed that don't matter. We just saw it happen with Golden State the other night where they pretty much rested all of their starters with Durant out. It even made it worse. What are your thoughts about teams getting into a trend of doing this? Greg Popovich, I guess you could argue, would be the person that really kicked this off where he didn't care about his players playing at home in front of paying fans on the road. Whenever he felt like there needed to be rest, he would do it. And you couldn't really fault him just because of what he's done resume-wise. But now it's almost become a league-wide trend, and I don't believe you're too happy about that either. No, I'm not. And even when Duncan was back in the prime of his career, 28, 29 years of age, he was playing 81, 82 games. He was playing over 30 minutes a night. I mean, that's what he did when he won the MVP. But now now he's taken it to a new level where you got Kawhi Leonard sitting games at the age of 25, which is disgusting. What Steve Kerr did the other day, and I understand the schedule was difficult, in sitting his guys for maybe the most anticipated game uh, in the sport this year against San Antonio on ABC, on national television, where you've got people that are making special trips in to go see that game. This is a big one on the docket. Uh, you've got uh, ABC who's paying billions and billions of dollars for the rights for these games, uh, and that's how they're treated as, as the partners there. I think that's disgusting. You've got guys like Carl Malone, who in the first 19 years of his career uh, played 40 minutes a night and missed 10 entire games. 10! 10 entire games, and he's able to do it. And nowadays, you've got 25 year old, uh, you know, Clay Thompson or 26 year old Clay Thompson sitting out. You've got 28 uh, Kyrie Irving, uh, Clay, uh, Steph Curry sitting out. You've got Kawhi Leonard at age 25 resting, and not just resting, resting for big games. I mean, it's an embarrassment. Guys like Malone and Bird and MJ built this league off playing every single night, having pride in going out there. And I, when I when I say a guy's missing a game because of rest, I don't say it's because of rest. I say it's because of a lack of pride because that's what it is. And I'm not comparing my job to theirs, but I haven't missed a day in, in my career yet. 
couple of weeks ago, I got sick for three weeks, three consecutive weeks after the All-Star game. I was throwing up. I was you know, regurgitating my lunch an hour before I was to go on air. And it's not the first time I've ever done it. And I jumped on air and I hosted a three-hour show because I signed up to them. And I take some sort of pride in the fact that I show up for work every day. And then I got to see a guy who's making millions and millions of dollars not show up for work. What LeBron did earlier this year where he didn't even take the flight down to Memphis. He didn't even take the flight and sit on the bench down in Memphis. I mean, that's garbage. Uh, and you hear stories from playing with guys years ago. Uh, you know, guys years ago where they had travel, where they were playing three games in a row. Imagine that. Right now they complain about back-to-back. Back in the day, the 1960s, they're playing three games in a row. They're playing, not, never mind, four and five nights. They're playing five games in six nights. Yet they're going out there every day. They're not complaining. And what you hear when you read all these articles, I see all these articles. Tom Havistro is a big guy on ESPN.com, and I go back and forth with him on this all the time. Uh, is he, he just writes all these articles, and he cites doctors, and he cites uh, you know, he cites quotes from different scientists, et cetera. What they don't do is they don't cite any quotes from guys who actually did it. Guys like John Havlicek popped out the air with me at one point and said, and he was very careful to make sure that he didn't want to criticize anybody. And he said, I, you know, I, I really love the modern player, but here's the one thing I have to say is if you're in shape, you should be able to play 48 straight minutes, 48 straight minutes, and then do it again immediately afterwards. You should be able to play a double header. Uh, back-to-back the entire game. I mean, here's a guy that played every single minute of the 1969 NBA Finals. Every single minute. Uh, and if Havlicek didn't stand in the corner, he probably ran more than any player in the history of the sport. And he's got Jerry West handling him. You look at Bill Russell in that same Finals at the age of 34, his final year. Bill Russell's final year, 1969, at the age of 34, after he had just got done playing uh, in uh 11 finals over the course of 12 years. This was the 11th time that he was playing, 12th time he was playing in 13 years. 12th final in 13 years. He ended up winning 11. He played every single minute of the 1969 NBA finals before he retired. If those guys can go out there every single night and bust their butt and play like that, and athletes are supposed to be better today than they were back then, uh, then, then they, these guys should be out there every single night. I don't want to hear any excuses. And the thing that makes you sick is they almost wear it as a badge of honor. You know, I'm good enough to rest. I'm so good that I can rest. I can take the day off. I think it's disgusting. I think it's a trend that's been started by Greg Popovich. It's something that's carried over by the league's best player in LeBron James. If LeBron took pride in going out there every single night, I think other players would follow suit. You still do have some exceptions, and it's the reason that I think it also separates these guys from Kawhi and LeBron in the MVP voting. Is Russell Westbrook has yet to miss a game this year. James Harden has missed one game over the last three years. Those guys take pride in going out there every single night. It's something I recognize, and I factor it in when I'm talking MVP. That is the type of passion people can expect to hear if they go to NBA Radio Monday through Friday, NBA Today on Sirius XM. March Madness is one of the best times of the year, especially for that first week of the NCAA tournament, and it's definitely a time of year worthy of some praise. was the night before madness and threw out all the racket. All the people were frantic to fill out their bracket. The 68 teams were selected with care in the hopes that your favorites all would be there. The mascots were ready to cheer on with glee with visions of trophies that they all might see. And coaches in suits and I in my shorts with pencil in hand to see if I knew sports. When highlights were playing and onions was screamed, I raced to the Google to see what it meaned. 
away to the YouTube I scrolled in such fashion to see what Gus Johnson might scream with his passion. There would be just one winner, all others with loss. We'd hear one shining moment with Luther Van Ross. But when viewing my bracket, did upsets appear? What teams would prove busts or would instigate fear? With Cinderella's dreaming and busts in the mix, I knew in a moment I made the right picks. More no than Lunardi and visions of fame, I picked up my pencil and shouted by name. Now heels, now zags, now Jayhawks and cats. On devils, on cardinals, on mascots with hats. To the top of the region, to the final four. Now win in advance and win even more. But from the back I heard such a clatter, and on the TV was a room full of chatter. There was talk of new stations, I thought, just in jest, but games would be played on True TV and TBS? I flipped through the channels and, after three years, was met with analysis to quiet our fears. On the screen there was Barkley, spitting out words, calling some teams in the tournament turds. There was Dickie V's passion and Kenny Smith's size, and Seth Davis waiting to disprove all lies. Their opinions were honest, but nobody knew if what they were saying would even prove true. There was talk of some coaches and what they had done, the importance of how many titles they'd won. On Izzo, Patino, on Coach K and Cal. Now Roy, now Self, now Jay Wright, our pal. From Thursday through Sunday, we'll anxiously wait to see if our favorites can make the last eight. There'll be upsets and blowouts and really high score. Perhaps teams going down in your final four. We'll be glued to the games, but no one's to blame for cheering on teams that you just learned their name. Our slates are now clean in our picks we trust. Let's say a quick prayer our brackets won't bust. So make your last tweaks. Cross your fingers, you're right. Merry madness to all, and to all a good night. I'm John Lund for Sports News, read like real news. Episode 75, July 21st of last year, featuring Justin Clemenza, or Clem, as you know him from Barstool Sports. To pay homage to Chris Stapp's Porzingis, who will miss the rest of the season with the Knicks after tearing his ACL, Here's Clem's tale of going to the Porzingis homeland of Latvia to then report his findings back to Barstool. This is Clem, a.k.a. the Many Snacks guy from Barstool Sports. BarstoolSports.com. Is that right? BarstoolSports.com. And you were listening to The Bridge with John Lund. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty vivid for me. So I started in November. Porzingis was... You know, drafted that that June and his started his rookie year with like that November basically is when I started. I'll never forget. So, you know, I don't get people say like, "Hey, Clem, you should go to Latvia. You love Porzingis, this and that." And uh, actually, the reason I the way I got Clemzingis was there was somebody who tweeted at me, and their name was whatever his like whatever the guy's last name was, Zingus, kind of like mine was Clemzingus. And I said, hey, man, I love that idea. You mu- can I take that? And he said, yeah, go for it. So shout out to him. I, I verified, I asked, and I mean, I'm sure he wasn't the first person, and I definitely wasn't the second person. But, like, I had it out there, and it just kind of stuck, and, like, I see no reason to change it. Um, but anyway, I'll never forget, like, people would always say, you should go visit Latvia, this and that, and I'm like, 
God, I'm terrified of Latvia. I don't know what Latvia is. It, in my mind, it was either like a black and white communist bloc country that was like still stuck in like the 40s, like the mid 40s, like world post World War II Cold Warship, or it was like guys in Lederhosen like bopping around like a fantasy German world. Like I had no idea what to expect of Latvia, but I'd always get tweeted, and I was like, yeah, whatever. And then one day, someone tweeted at Dave and was like, you should say come to Latvia. And I wrote, you know, I just tweeted and I was like, I go. Like, I, I've written that a thousand times at different school stoolies. He must have just been tagged in that one. Or he must have saw that one because he was tagged a lot in them. He must have saw that one and he emails me and was like, you should go to Latvia. That was his entire meal. I know you're kidding on Twitter, but you should go to Latvia. And I wrote back, I wasn't kidding. I'll go tomorrow if you want. And then he, and then Dave writes back again. He's not like, it's like probably the first email I've gotten from Dave since I started at Barstool. And probably like the fourth email since. I've probably received four emails from him since to me, max. So he goes, I CC, so then he replies, I CC Hank's this email, plan out your trip to Latvia, blah, blah, blah. Like not time frame, not like do this, do that, not how to pay for it, whatever. I think I, I think I got Hank's number from the email. I texted him like, he's like, dude, what the fuck? And I'm like, yeah, man. And, you know, I think we might have said hello to each other at a KFC radio event once, like in passing. It's the only time we'd ever met, really. And we basically met at JFK Airport in, like, Hank got there, like, as we were getting on the flight. We meet on the line, waiting to get on the flight, flew to Moscow, and then it was, like, a, whatever, 10-hour, 12-hour, 14-hour flight to Moscow. Then had to take, like, a little tiny plane to Latvia from Moscow. And, dude, the, like, the month leading up to that trip, I'm trying to come up with ideas. I don't know what I'm going to do. At the end of the day, I was like, the funny part is just me going to Latvia, just being in Latvia, because no one knows what the hell Latvia is at that point. Like, no one still knows what Latvia is at this point, other than what they've seen maybe from my video. I was like, you know, I was new at the company, and, you know, Dave, like I said, Dave's a nice guy, but you don't want to get on his bad side where he thinks something's bad or stupid or, you know, you're not working hard, whatever it may be. And I'm like, I kind of got to do this. I got to go through with it. I Hank was, like, literally, like, t- texting me his American Express card, that he had that was like his corporate card. Like that's how I booked the flights was through a picture of his American Express card. And it was like this like complete, you know, Barstool, you always say it's like rag doll, rinky dink, like just like by construction paper by the seat of our pants kind of operation. And like, that's what this whole thing was. And I was so nervous, man, for like that entire, you know, build up to the trip because I didn't know if it was going to be funny. I'm coming up with ideas. I just had like a, you know, my baby at that point was um, probably like a year old. And I'm starting to think, what if something happens on the flight? I'm in Latvia. God knows I got a kid. I'm being taken kind of stuff like William Neeson. And I'm like, what the hell is going to happen? I'm like all freaking out about it. And like the day before we left, I'll never forget the day before we left, like literally the day before we left, <laughs> Dave calls. He's like, let's have a conference call on top of the trip. And he's like, what are you guys going to do on the trip? And I had like five or six notes. I'm like, we could do this. We could do this. Um, there was this old, play, this old basketball player played for Kentucky and the Knicks, uh, George. I don't know if you remember him. He played in Latvia, so I was going to maybe, I was like, I could do something with him. You know, I had a couple other ideas. I don't remember, like, he's like, nope, those are all terrible. <laughs> that was basically all he told me. And he goes, oh, by the way, do you have a Porzingis dixture? I think it would be hilarious if you wore that the entire time. And I was like, I was like, no, nah, man. I was like, I just wear my, like, barstool stuff. That's the kind of, like, stuff I have for Porzingis. It's like, well, you should get a Porzingis jersey. And literally, it's snowing out of my house. It's like five inches of snow on the ground. And I'm like, Gabe, I don't have anything for you here. I'm sorry. And I'm just like, oh, God, he's going to, like, hate this video. Um, You know, 
I'm just going to hate me, but at the same point, I'm like, I was like, we have to get to Latvia before any other of the blogs or websites do. We have to be, it'd be funny that Barstool's the first, you know? And, uh, you know, we went over there. Um, Man on the Street is like the hardest thing I've ever done in work in general. Everything, like Hank would tell me, he's like, dude, when you do this, you're going to think it's terrible. But usually it ends up being a lot better, you know, and then you edit it and you kind of throw some effects in and it's a lot better than it seemed at the time. But I was out there, dude, and I was like pure miserable the entire time because I'm just like, this is terrible, this isn't funny. But, you know, with editing and you just meet the right kind of characters along the way and it came out pretty good. And like, again, like the joke was like almost just the joke that we were in Latvia learning about Chris Dabbs was like kind of the punchline right off the bat. So I kind of got lucky that that was kind of baked into the whole experience. But I mean, you said, what do you think of when you think of like the lead up and the trip? Like, I just think of pure terror literally until like the last night there. And then I was like, all right, like, I think we Hank told me we got enough good stuff. And like, he had been through enough at that point where I trusted his like opinion on it. And then I had like night terrors, like two nights. Cause I have, I wake up in the middle of the night screaming. I get like random nightmares, not every night, but random times. And I did that to Hank like twice. And the poor kid is like still like traumatized from those nights. So I think at one point I'm like, we're missing our flight. He's like, Clem, what are you talking about? Like, he's, it's like four in the morning. And it was like, our flight wasn't until like, you know, one o'clock in the afternoon the next day. And I was like, dude, I'm sorry. I was, I was, I was just in a bad place at that point. But uh, yeah, man, it was a trip. Tears are streaming down my face. You could not hear the <laughs> laughter, but that was probably better than the content itself. Hearing the tale <laughs> just leading up to that. And as I said, I will put that in for everyone so they can watch that as well. It's definitely a must-see video, as Barstool sometimes likes to throw out here and there, because you're only allotted <laughs> a certain number for the year. So it did yep. take some time. Porzingis finally followed you back on Twitter in June. Is that your best Twitter moment? By far. I mean, highlight of my career. If we're gonna be, like, there's nothing at Barstool that I've done before since that tops that. Remember when ESPN 8 The Ocho became a reality, at least for one day? One could argue that Dodgeball, a true underdog story, is one of the greatest fictitious sports movies of all time. But this is not the time nor the place for that argument. Instead, we must pay homage to one of the highlights from that film in the creation of ESPN 8 The Ocho, the finest in seldom seen sports, such as this. A city built upon sand, broken dreams, and $5 lobster. A city where you can get a happy ending, but only if you pay a little extra. A city home to a sporting event greater than the World Cup, World Series, and World War II combined. Live from Las Vegas, it's the Las Vegas International Dodgeball Open here on ESPN 8, The Ocho. Bringing you the finest in seldom seen sports from around the globe since 1999. If it's almost a sport, we've got it here. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this year's annual Las Vegas International Dodgeball Open. Brought to you exclusively here on ESPN 8, The Ocho. The Ocho became part of sports broadcasting lore and is often referenced when discussing such backyard games like cornhole, can jam, or beer pong. Some longed for the days when ESPN 8 would become a reality. 
decades after ESPN originally made its bones in the wee hours of the morning, showing some of the more unpopular sports from around the world. Thankfully, ESPN listened and made dreams come true at least for one day. On August 8th, 8-8 for you math nerds, ESPN 8 hit televisions across this beautiful country on ESPNU, even implementing the voice of that sports center guy to promote the extravaganza. You're watching a special presentation of ESPN 8, The Ocho, on ESPNU. The day kicked off at midnight with the 2016 American Disc Golf Championship. Other sports throughout the day included roller derby, trampoline dodgeball, the Firefighters World Challenge, comedy, darts, arm wrestling, moxie games including the Rock Paper Scissors Championship, Street Fighter, the U.S. Open Ultimate Championship, and the 2017 Championship of Bags, which perhaps fueled this revival when Cornhole became must-see television a couple of weeks back as filler on ESPN2. The question is, was the Ocho a success? It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Was it ever, with social media leading one to believe that it might have been the greatest day in sports broadcasting history. And, humor aside, the athletes taking part in the events covered throughout the day do devote a large part of their lives to what many think to be nonsensical sports. In a world where those who were once deemed as nerds or weirdos can make careers from playing video games or flying drones, why not have a world where a game of dodgeball can be watched from the comforts of your couch? In fact, we need more. Who wouldn't want to watch a high-stakes game of Connect Four or Shoots and Ladders? or take sides to cheer on the participants of a rousing round of Red Rover, Red Rover. In fact, old Nickelodeon reboots should also be included in the next revitalization of the Ocho. The question is, would you watch? The choices are yours and yours alone. Good luck. I'm John Lund for Sports News, read like real news. Episode 85, September 28th of last year, featuring NFL Network reporter and former Yankees sideline reporter Kim Jones. Kim had some great stories in telling how she started her career to where she is now, along with some other anecdotes along the way, including her famous pork chop segment on live television and an interesting conversation with one Derek Jeter. This is Kim Jones of WFAN Radio and NFL Network. You are listening to The Bridge with John Lund. Was it more difficult to keep your composure during Derek Jeter's <laughs> champagne shower or the accidental shaving cream to the face while interviewing Nick Swisher? <laughs> I think Jeter, because I was surprised it was him. You know, it was it was fun. It 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 it's actually is a great, I guess, screen grab picture. I'm not sure it's an actual picture, but 
I think it's a, a screen grab from someone's TV. I don't know. Maybe it is a picture. Who knows? Photographers were in there. But um, it's a great picture. I get a kick out of it when people tweet it at me. I love it. It's fun. Uh, always, always will have great respect for Derek for a lot of those players. Um, and I always thought, John, that especially in my early struggles, it was a clubhouse with Derek Jeter as a captain where things never went haywire for me. Randy Johnson wasn't always the most pleasant person, but that would have been the case in any clubhouse Randy was in. Uh, that's more a reflection of who he was. But in terms of being treated professionally and be, being treated with patience, uh, I always I always suspected that the Jeter as captain played a role in that, at least to some degree. And I would be remiss to close out the Yes Network days without talking about the moment that I'm sure a lot of people are waiting on bated breath for involving what happened in Minnesota in 2010, an event that's on your Wikipedia page. So I don't know <laughs> if, if that makes it more worthy of discussion or if people just have this stuck in their mind. And it is hard to forget as a Yankees fan, for people that don't know, a drunk fan took a bite out of a pork chop on a stick that you were holding during an in-game report in Minnesota. Now, now tell me about, I know you've been walking around the stands and we oh, love yeah. the ballpark. Just visually, how about underneath with the concessions? Have you come up with anything interesting? Two words for you. Pork chop stick. As in pork chop on a stick from the State Fair Classics concession stand here. You can also get walleye on, the, on a stick. That's very popular. I hear it's the state fish. But they, really, I can't believe this right now. I've lost control of this, but I guess it's good. It's cold, I'll tell you that. But anyway, lots of concession stands here. The State Fair, very big in the Midwest, huge in Minnesota. And pork chop on a stick. Al, I was going to bring it back to you. No, thanks. Wait, no Kim, way. that guy just bit it? I, I, I didn't bite it. Oh, that's just disgusting. I can't tell you how revolting it is. Oh, uh, now you should give it to him and throw it down his throat. If you go away, you can have my pork chop. <laughs> uh, here's the replay of the guy biting Kim's pork chop. <laughs> Look at this. Look at this guy. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Kim's had that for three innings. You know how cold that is? Kim, just move away from that guy. Thanks a lot. We'll see you in the postgame. Thank you. Well, first of all, it's in, I guess it's in my nature. I look back now and wish that I had just completely thrown caution to the wind, let him eat the darn pork chop and laughed my way through it, and maybe even tried to interview him, although I believe he was inebriated to a point where I'm not sure it would have been the most constructive interview ever done. But I'll tell you what, here's another thing that's perhaps a sign of the times, John. I can't tell you how many people have reached out and said, was that staged? And it's more now who asked me that than asked me that at the time. I can't imagine in my lifetime staging something like that. I can't imagine the Yes Network staging something like that. That was 100% reality TV at its finest. And I'll give you the background of how it happened. Target Field was new, so we wanted to kind of showcase Target Field, which is a gorgeous uh, baseball stadium. And they had walleye on a stick and pork chop on a stick. Well, the walleye might not have handled the, the weight, if you will, and I'll explain that in a second, as well as walleye. So we went pork chop on a stick. We bought it, I want to say, 90 minutes, maybe two hours before you saw me with it on TV. Uh, it was Michael Kay and Al Leiter doing the game that night. I believe it was Al. I, I know Michael was there, and I, I do think it was Al. And we, 
we put it in like a plastic bowl in the booth. So here's this pork, you know, sitting out for, you know, who knows how long, a couple hours, in the, it just in the booth, in a, you know, because I wasn't going to eat it. No one was going to eat it, we didn't think. So it's sitting there, and it's time for my report, and I grab the pork chop on the stick. We're going to talk a little bit about Target Field, and then the rest kind of unfolded as you would have seen it if you watched the clip. I'm standing there. I'm kind of – someone told me later that the funniest part was – I was I talk with my hands, so even if a pork chop on a stick's in my hand, I'm probably going to talk with it. Well, I did, and as I was doing that, the the guy was trying to take a bite out of it, but kind of missing the mark because it was a moving target for him. So, you know, it it is funny. It was it was not planned. I remember saying it was repulsive, and I remember a few people like kind of telling me to lighten up. But what I meant was what I just told you. That was pork that had sat out. On a you know a warm day, not not scalding hot, but a warm day for a couple of hours, and here this guy wants to to eat that pork. So when I said repulsive, it came across maybe a little bit stronger than I wanted, or a little bit more uptight than I certainly wanted. But I meant you know, dude, if you want to eat this cold pork chop, have at it. The other thing, and I'll leave you that story with this: the guy was a Yankee fan, and the reason we knew that it was the third, I guess third, maybe fourth, but I think third game of the series. And the Yankees were going for a sweep. Well, John, he had one of those mini uh, brushes with the dustpan around his neck, the kind that, you know, you might have in a laundry closet or, you know, in your, you know, below your sink in the, in the, in this kitchen. He had one tied around his neck because the Yankees, he was ready for a sweep. So, you know, it was just hilarious. It really was. And it's a moment that I think we all now just chuckle. Uh, yes, it, it, uh, uh, being honest with you, it surprised me a little bit. I think it was when the Yankees were in Minnesota, or maybe it was around the date of the anniversary of this whole thing. Who knows? But the Yes Network retweeted that clip this year, and I thought that was really cool of them. And I, I think a lot of people, I hope, got a kick out of it. I know I did. Episode 91, November 9th of last year, featuring Damon Amendolara, host of the DA Show on CBS Sports Radio. DA has some great stories from his time in sports broadcasting, from a semi-feud with Mike Francesa over one of his sports updates, to getting to interview Francesa and then co-host Christopher Mad Dog Russo while in high school, and then getting some of that footage on the ESPN 30 for 30 about the famous duo. Hey guys, this is Damon Amendolara, DA, CBS Sports Radio, and you are locked into The Bridge with John Lund. Keep it locked. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. When I was uh, in, in high school, we had a communications class for uh, one year junior year, one year senior year. And senior year, the, the senior project was create your own television show, at least do one pilot episode with your classmates. And so me and three other guys said, well, we love sports. I, of course, wanted to be in sports broadcasting, and I said, uh, we kind of pitched and brainstormed the idea of doing kind of a, a sports talk show, if you will, but really more interviewing some of the members of of teams in the area. And so we said, well, why don't we reach out to some of the teams and see what, what would work? And, and shockingly, a bunch of teams got back to us and said, yeah, you can come down and interview a few of the players or the coaches. And so the New Jersey Nets said we could come down and we interviewed John Calipari and at the time Eric Montross and Sam Cassell and Kerry Kittles. New York Jets got back to us and we were able to interview one of their offensive linemen. The New York Giants, uh, the New York Yankees, they said no, but the New York Mets said you can come down and film batting practice and, and actually catch up with John Olerud and Bobby Valentine. And so these were big thrills for all of us as high schoolers. But then 
We said, boy, WFAN means so much in the area. How about we reach out to the fan and see? All right, it was a shot in the dark, and I think we had our uh, our teacher at the time uh, maybe make a phone call. Well, as fate would have it, she makes a phone call to who my current boss is right now, Eric Spitz, who was the assistant program director in 96 and 97 uh, when we were trying to do this. Really, it was the spring of 97 uh, at WFAN. And he said, yeah, all right, well, well they can come down and uh, catch some B-roll and videotape some of the guys. And if there's time, maybe we can set them up with somebody. And we said, okay, well, we'll come down. And we end up coming down there with a couple of, of uh, video cameras, the old the old VHS video camera that were on your shoulder. You pop big VHS tapes into. And so they let us film in the studio during one of Mike and the Mad Dog's uh, episodes. And after their show, we were able to interview them each for five minutes apiece. And I'll never forget how nervous I was, but excited I was that I finally got to kind of talk to these guys and, and ask them some questions. And I kept, I held on to that tape since then. I mean, it only ran once on cable access, but I always had that tape because I was so proud of it. And I put it on YouTube a couple of years ago, just kind of saying like, hey, how interesting is this? Now I get to work next to the, the, these guys. And at least next to Mike, and I know Chris a little bit through the industry, and the producers of the 30 for 30, Dan Forer and a couple of other guys were kind of doing their research and noticed this footage, and they reached out to me and said, hey, is this your footage? I said, yeah, I own this. I filmed this. It's mine. They said, well, hold on to that, because we might use that in the 30 for 30. I said, you got it. I got it on an old VHS tape. If you can convert it. Sure enough, I sent it to them. They converted it. They used it. And a lot of the footage that you'll see in the 30 for 30 is footage that my classmates and I took that day. It was a March or April day in 97, 20 years ago. But as you mentioned, they didn't have footage of Mike and Dog in that studio for more than 10 years doing that show. So they were able to use our B-roll and uh, flesh out that 30 for 30. And I was thrilled to be part of it and had a small cameo in that. And uh, that was that was cool, man. That was one of the that was one of those bucket lists. Episode 92, November 16th, 2017, featuring former NFL player and current Denver Broncos radio host, Brandon Stokely. Brandon had incredible stories from his playing days, from winning the Super Bowl with the Ravens, to playing with Peyton Manning in another ring with the Colts, to moving on to the radio world after retirement. He remains great friends with the great Peyton Manning, so naturally had some stories about number 18 as well as his tale from what Denver Broncos fans most likely know him for, the Immaculate Deflection. This is Brandon Stokely, the slot machine. Stokely down the sideline! Can they catch him? Stokely! Wow! Touchdown! And you're listening to The Bridge. Is there any truth that Peyton Manning once got you benched while playing for the Colts? <laughs> that that is, that is a true uh, story, no no doubt about it. He he still denies that uh, to this day. One day he will admit it, uh, but I know deep down in my heart he did. Uh, that's just the way he rolls, you know. I mean, he's a competitor, and and you know what? It, it, we were in the heat of a game, and um, you know he uh, he was wrong in his assumption of of what happened on that play, but he was frustrated. And, uh, I know he got me benched and then, uh, and then the, the guy that replaced me ended up messing up even worse than he thought I messed up. And then, so he got that guy benched and put me back in, uh, to that game. So it's pretty funny how it all worked out. We laugh about it now, but he still denies it. He's never quite admitted it to me yet. Uh, but maybe one day he will. 
Well, he can call in for a rebuttal. Peyton, the phone lines are <laughs> always open if you'd like to give your side of the story. Well, there is something you can hold over his head. You end up catching his record-setting touchdown pass to break Dan Marino's record. So if it wasn't for you, that doesn't happen. We could just say that. Right. Yeah, he would have been he would have been one short of it. You know, nobody else would have caught that one, you know, even though we still had another game to play um after that. Uh but yeah, of course, he owes me big time. No one would have batted an eye, but then we wouldn't get to this point in the show where I've saved all my Denver Broncos <laughs> questions for last. So I like it. Perfect segue. So what people probably remember most from your first stint with the Denver Broncos is what's been known as the Immaculate Deflection, a story that you've probably told a thousand times at least from fans. <laughs> it never gets old. Look, I'll tell it a thousand more. I love that story. Right. Well, I can't blame you for that. And for people that don't know, 2009, week one at Cincinnati against the Bengals. Denver is down 7-6, 28 seconds left, 87 yards to go. And Kyle Orton's pass to Brandon Marshall gets tipped high in the air, right into your hands. You ran the rest of the way for a touchdown. Gus Johnson on the call, very memorable, as excited as anyone calling that play. <laughs> that was the intro to Madden 11. I remember that because I played that game far too much, a little bit younger <laughs> in my days. And I think that was one of those scenarios in the game. You can play a famous moment in NFL history modes. I believe that was something that right. you could do as well. So all these years later and after hundreds of people asking, what still stands out to you about that play? It's just everything. I just remember that, you know, our backs were against the wall and just kind of thinking like, you know, how are we going to get this thing accomplished? I think it was third down. We had tried two previous plays. Uh, the play before uh, the catch that I made, um, it was almost intercepted on, on, on their sideline. I still think that that ball was intercepted. Uh, and we were third down. We were backed up. And uh, just the, the odds of, of something like that happening in the NFL, just it's, it's you probably never see anything like that again and and just running my route and and seeing the ball thrown over my head to Brandon Marshall and just like okay there we go and then like seeing a big collision and the ball just floating up in the air and and thinking okay maybe I'll get I'll get a catch but I'm about to get tackled and catching it and just kind of being in shock that there was nobody there where's everybody at like how how is you know they're playing prevent defense there there's got to be somebody that's about to you know just crush me and then I just start taking off running just kind of like I said, in, in, in complete shock. And then, and then I was, as I was running, just, just thinking like, you know, if somebody's about to catch me, at least I'll get in field goal range. And then there was nobody there. And, and then at the last second, I was looking behind me and I noticed that the, the linebacker that was chasing me kind of stopped running. And so that's when I decided to take it down the goal line to, you know, waste three or four more seconds. Is that still a chills inducing moment whenever you might get to see that play? Oh yeah. No question. Sometimes on, on, on my radio show, they play that, that Gus Johnson call of it. Um, and it just, Gus Johnson made it, you know, he, he's the best and he, he made that play, um, even more special. Uh, so they, uh, they play bits and pieces of that clip all the time. You know, when I say crazy things, they, they, they come out with that, that Gus Johnson call. So it's, uh, you know, it's one of those calls that, in one of those plays that will, you know, follow me forever.
Episode 93, November 30th, 2017, featuring Grayson Boucher, who you most likely know as The Professor from the N1 Mixtape Tour. Grayson was and is a streetball legend, to say the least, and shared how he ended up in that world, along with who would be on his squad in Ice Cube's Big Three League, made up of players from the N1 Mixed Tour days. This man right here started out in Portland, and I'm talking about no other than the man, my stepson, the Professor! Grayson Boucher, better known as The Professor, and I'm hanging out here on the bridge. Yeah, so basically I was trying to make I was trying to make the uh, NBA up until about 2007, and I came to a crossroad because I was playing the CBA at the time, which was like the, the old D-League. The D-League eventually put them out of business, but that was like the, the league under the NBA. And once I got there, I realized that everybody was looking at me as a marketing ploy. And then once I played for them, they would respect my game. But they weren't, you know, for me to get the opportunity to play in the NBA was tough because a lot of people in the, in the league, at the, especially at that time, did, didn't look highly upon streetball. I didn't consider that, like, a valid resume. You know, they would want to see you play Division One Pro somewhere and, and, and really put in work for, you know, a year or multiple years before they would actually give you a shot at the league. And so <clears throat> knowing that, you know, and knowing what I had built in streetball already, uh, I just felt like if I was going to make a roster, and mind you, at the time I was about, you know, 24, 25, I realized that, you know, if I was going to make a roster, it'd be sometime near 30 or my late 20s, and that would be just making a roster. So I just felt like taking a, taking a different path, you know, and building on a streetball legacy that's, that's different and unique and, uh, could sort of be an area where I trailblaze as opposed to as opposed to going the traditional route and not, you know, making as much noise in the culture. I just felt like it was a better route for me. And then long term, what I realized, I, I believe this is God's plan for my life because what I actually always loved was really uh, centering in on entertaining people with the game, uh, even more so than the conventional style. So, <clears throat> so there's no regrets in my eyes as far as like the path I I took, which a lot of people would be surprised to know because. You know, a lot of comments, even on every video I post, are like, make the NBA. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, they don't they don't understand that, um, you know, this path I took is, is the one for me. And uh, how was I able to do it? I think I think always just being cognizant of marketing and then when the digital age, you know, really came to the forefront, just capitalizing on that and really going hard. Because, you know, after, after the N1 went off ESPN, then for me it was an immediate convergence to YouTube. And uh, not skipping any time with that was a big help, I think, in parlaying my career. If you were a coach and you could take with you some of your street ballers, either past and present, who would be on your team to compete in the Big Three League? Oh, man. So if I got the Big Three squad, I've got to go with Big Escalade in the middle. 
um, especially it's a half-court game. Now he doesn't have to run up and down the court. That would just be completely ideal for him. So big Escalade's got to be in the middle. I'm going. Uh, I'm going. Skip to Malu starting at the one. I'm going. Um, Ali Mo starting at the two. Rest in peace, Ali Mo. And then I think I'm going to have to have on the bench. I'm going to have to have Ao Bone Collector, and I think I put Main Event on there as a, as our Charles Barkley Roughhouser. <laughs> That'd be my squad. I'd rock with all street ball squad. Amazing. And well, we know who the MC would be as well. So we've got Oh, no question. Duke, Duke Tango has to be in the building. That's We're right. not playing if Duke doesn't come. Episode 95, December 14th, 2017. The Opus episode of The Bridge, the Mike Francesa Goodbye Show Spectacular, featuring a baker's dozen worth of guests to honor the sports pope. Mike Babchek, co-host of The Morning Men on Sirius XM Mad Dog Sports Radio and friend of the show who was featured in episode 33, returned to tell some first-hand tales with WFAN and Mike Francesa. Hey, this is Mike Babchek from Morning Men on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 82, and you're listening to the sexy beast, John Lund on the bridge. That's right. The bridge. That's where I met my wife under a bridge. I mean, there was a couple of things that you know truly stood out. Number one, I really didn't like my. Um, there was three different shifts. There was three different times of the day that you were you were the intern. So it's like Tuesday, and then you did the afternoon shift, and then you get Mike and Doc. But you also had to do a night shift, and you also had to do something on the weekend. And you know, a lot of times that was early, so they would they would move you around. But that was smart. Because then an intern would actually deal with all the different types of shows. So obviously, like the Tuesday and the Wednesday, I think I had Mike and Dog. That that was it. Those are the two big days. Because, you know, you're in there, you're part of that show, and you're in the newsroom, you know, during the live broadcast. The Saturday morning shift with Richard Neer, that was tough. I, I skipped that a lot. And, uh, you know, that's why I wasn't a very good intern. But when I was interning with Mike and Dog, I remember two big things. One day, Russo came in. With all his kids. I think it was he was, it was three, maybe it was even the fourth one. He brought them all. And, you know, he's talking to Mike, and, Mike, and Mike's like, What are you, you bring all the kids? And then the dog's like, It's okay, you know, we got to keep them in the newsroom there. And Francesa turned to me and said, He'll watch them. I said, What? Yeah, you'll watch them. So I was like, You got to watch them. This is big for you. What's your name? Uh, it's Mike. All right, you got to watch the kids. Mike said, Yeah, he'll watch them. He'll watch your kids. Okay. All right. Well, then I guess I'm going to watch the kids. And that day, that's uh, sure enough, for about three hours while they're doing their show, I was uh, entertaining um, little Timmy Russo and Colin and everybody else. It was crazy. It was like a little daycare. That was fun. The other big thing was I used to get lunch. I used to get lunch for them. And there was one day where Mike's like, my kid, he, my friend says I would call me kid. He n- never knew my name. Russo learned my name, called me Mike. Francesa, kid. It was the kid. All right, good. Go pick up my lunch. I went to the store. You know, they had his order ready. I pick it up. It's like a giant platter. It's like a salad platter. I mean, there's chef salad that's gigantic. So I'm like, oh, man, this is huge. Obviously, he, this guy's so nice. He bought lunch for everybody else. I bring it back. That was just for him. This giant platter. I mean, it was crazy. He had his Diet Coke. But still, even I remember thinking, I'm like, oh, you know, he's eating the salad. That's good. He's eating the salad, and he's got low-fat dressing. That's pretty good. And then he came back out after his meal, and he's like, hey, kid. I'm like, yeah, yeah, what do you need, Mike? 
Uh, go to the vending machine and give me a C6. Huh? C6. C6. Okay. All right, all right, fine. Go get it. I go back to the vending machine, C6. C6 was a Texas-sized cinnamon bun. It's the biggest cinnamon bun I've ever seen in my life. So if he was eating healthy, yeah, he ate the salad, but a giant one, low-fat dressing, Diet Coke. But then, you know, you got to get the sweets. I mean, here's Mike Francesa. So you got a Texas-sized cinnamon bun. I'm telling you, those are the big, the two big takeaways from my internship. I mean, obviously, they're bigger things, but that's just not the way my brain works. But what an honor, though, to just be a part of something like that. Because that show, I mean, really, it'll go down as the greatest sports talk show in history. And no show will ever top that. Ever. And I'm on one. But it'll never come close to Mike and the dog. Kevin Clancy of Barstool Sports dropped by to talk about breaking the wall between Francesa and Mongo Nation with his back after this t-shirt. What's up, you much? It's KFC from Barstool Sports, and you're listening to The Bridge. It's surreal to have it all actually come to fruition and be, like, tangible. It's very humbling to go from a fan to even having, you know, one iota of a connection with him is, is very cool. It, it, I, I was lucky in, in the sense there was a lot of guys who came before me who were, uh, you know, paying homage to Mike with with parody accounts and jokes and you know, putting out his content and websites and whatnot, soundboards, all that cool shit. Uh, so they were, you know, those guys were at the forefront of it all. And I was, uh, I was lucky enough to kind of be adopted by Mongo Nation. I don't, I don't necessarily consider myself uh, a true member of Mongo Nation. I think those guys take it to a whole next level. But the fact that, uh, you know, they were, those guys are down with Mike. They're down with Barstool. And there's kind of a, a connection there was was very cool. Monzo, his producer, was a huge driving force in it because he 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 became cool with Barstool, and uh, he was the connection. He was he's on Twitter, he's on social media, so he was kind of the liaison because, like you said, Mike doesn't do the tweeter. Why would I give it away for free? You got to come listen to me at one o'clock every day. I'm not going to give it away for free. You kidding me? Uh, so those you know, Mongo Nation and Monzo were played a huge hand in it. And then it's a funny story about those T-shirts. So. Uh, we had a, a t-shirt guy out and he, our third party operates out in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I, uh, I said to him, we got to make a t-shirt for Mike Francesa. And he was like, who is that? I almost wanted to punch him in the face. Like, what do you mean? Who's that? He's a sports pope. He's number one. So I explained to him who Mike is. And he's like, so let me get this right. You want to, you want to sell a t-shirt for a 60 year old sports caster? And I was like, yes, just fucking do it. Just listen to me and do it. We make the shirt and they go absolutely bananas. They go viral. People are buying them for the bar A appearances. They're buying them for Francesa Khan. Uh, Mongo Nation adopts them, loves them. They're going, they're selling like wildfire. And Mike, and like you said, Mike take, takes notice of them and he wants a whole batch of them for his family. That's when I get the message from Monzo. Can you bring a whole box of different sizes for uh, Mike and his fam? So at that point, he's still being simulcast on Fox, Fox Sports 1 at this point. And uh, he, he was kind enough to hold the shirt up and explain, Barstool ba, ba Sports? Is that it? Barstool Sports? Uh, and then they go super viral and, and sales go like through the roof. And I'll never forget that, that, that guy out in Cincinnati, our T-shirt guy, being like, well, I don't know like how this happened. But you were right. Like, this is one of our all-time bestsellers. I was wrong. You were right. And I was like, that's the power of Mongo Nation. Don't ever doubt 
Mike Francesa. And the fact that I got to be the guy kind of, uh, you know, making, you know, the, the in, in between the go between of Mike Francesa and the Internet to bring, you know, Mongo Nation a little bit of spotlight, get the T-shirts out there and, you know, introduce. I guess what I would say is the, the real uh, best part about it for me is I introduced Francesa to a lot of people outside the New York market. A lot of the stoolies who had never heard of him beforehand uh, and weren't able to listen to him on a daily basis would still they still know his all time moments. You know, you can ask some of these guys from Boston or Chicago, uh, you know, and they'll know about Mike Francesa's snowblower or uh, any of his various meltdowns. So I think the not only introducing him to the Internet, but uh, or I should say introducing Mike to the Internet, but introducing stoolies from other markets into uh, number one has been probably the best part of, of the connection. And at last, somehow, some way, we closed out the show with a phone call from the magnum opus of guests, the great Sour Shoes. Uh, Mike, I always like to uh, you and your uh, uh, zoo and uh, your your family. Well, thank you, Dan. You've been very gracious to me in my career. Uh, Mike, would you get the uh, hummus ranch salsa I saw you and uh, a little bit of that horseradish and hot sauce? And, yeah, Dan. Uh, Dan, I was on the bowl uh, for uh, nine days after you gave me that hummus ranch salsa. Well, this you might have dropped some dropped some weight, though, huh? <laughs> I know it's at twenty-six minutes past the hour. We're talking to Mike Francesa in New York. Uh, Sid, what do you want to say to Mike? Hi, Mike. Mike, I want to come down there and give you a big, wet kiss. I love... Oh, sh- oh shut up, Sid. Mike, I want to I want to sit on your lap like Santa Claus. You know, I'm a Jew, and uh, I celebrate Hanukkah. Uh, you know you know something? Uh, ho- hold on. Gary and Greenwich, Gary, go ahead. Hey, Mike. Mike, did you know that the menorah <coughs> has nine candles? <laughs> I gotta go. Right, right. Alright, so that was another uh, whack job. The whack job for making it through the crisis. I see you're still getting some fat calls there, Mike. Yep. Uh, you still got that nappy headed, uh, nappy headed news girl with, uh, oh, Dom, that's Howard Stern. I don't have a news girl with me, okay? Oh my god, Dom. They should have taken you out the pasture. You know, my son Wyatt is in the rodeo. You know, <laughs> You know what? I'm going to take another call here. Uh, Jackie in Long Island. Jackie, go ahead. <laughs> yeah! Hey! Why was the elf down and out at Christmas time? Why? Because he has a low elf esteem. <laughs> yeah! You know why Santa Claus doesn't have any kids? Why? Because he only comes once a year down the chimney. <laughs> Yeah! Oh. <laughs> right. yeah, so what? Uh, let's uh, you got anybody else on that show, man? Oh, Jesus! This is a train wreck uh, of a of a Christmas. No, no, no. Let's keep it clean. Uh, this this is one of my uh dear friends. Uh, we've had uh ins and outs over the years. Most of them under the covers, right? <laughs> you see what he did there? Oh shut! Oh shut up! Hold on, Dan. Let's bring in my old partner, uh, Chris Russo. Chris, how are you? Michael, how are you, pal? Just uh, wanted to say a lot of hubba a lot of hubba-lubba-goo-ba-goo-ba-goo-ba-goo. 
this is a beautiful Christmas, you know, Mike. I've celebrated a lot of things with you over the years. The birth of the children, the birth, you sort of built a match. La, la, la. La, 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 la. <laughs> Had lots of, you know, lots of time together with sleepovers. We ate dinner at each other's houses. We did each other's toenails. Oh, oh my God, easy there. Oh, did each other's hair. We both have still have beautiful hair. Don, you do too. <laughs> oh, shut up. That's it. Don, let me ask you something. Where did Fat Soul Fruit Loops originate? What made you think of that? Oh, because I... Uh, my mic is fat, and, and, I, and I thought you were gay. <laughs> of course, uh, it is uh, uh, 22 months to the hour I was in the morning. Quack, quack. Oh, Dan Stiller uh, with those, with those uh, awful, awful air checks. But, Mike, Mike, it's good. Mike, uh, le- we had lots to talk about. You know, we, you and I, we did the tennis center together. We did lots of shows outside the show. We traveled all across the country. Uh, the Tampa trip from San Francisco in, in uh, 1989. 90, or nine, was it 90, 90? It was 90, it was, uh, it, it was on the Persian Gulf War. Okay. That's right, and everything, the Hullabaloo that took place, you didn't want to get on a, a flight unless it was first class coming back from Indiana. That's right, that's right. <laughs> and Borg wanted to fly in the cockpit, okay, because he's claustrophobic, okay, what a nut job. <laughs> Step into Christmas. Step into Christmas. The admission's free. Come on, sing it, Donnie. Donnie, you still got that Mick Jagger look in here, like uh, Peter Peter King said that. Remember that? Oh, uh, Chris is still playing tennis in, your, in, a, in a garter belt. You and, and uh, how are those thighs of yours? I like that Serena Williams. Boy, she could feed a whole uh, village, feed a whole country of Ethiopia with those thighs. Oh, come on, Don. I'll put some Amish hot sauce on those. Come on, Don. That's a bad job. That's a terrible way of celebrating Mike's career, and you're going to bring up, you're going to bring up, you're going to be blue? Terrible job. Yeah, that's, that's a bad that's okay. Uh, quick break, we're back. Uh, but, you know, it's good to have both of you on the phone, uh, we are going to have a benefit uh, in March. We'll do a doubles tennis, you, Don, and I, and Governor Christie. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not coming up there to play tennis, but if you want me to, I will. Uh, I'm having trouble sleeping. Uh, Deirdre got me this my pillow. Uh, this, this, this. Don, you having trouble? Uh, you still riding horses out in the, in the pasture day? Where, what's going on there with the, with the kids? Oh, shut up. Shut up, man, dog. Uh, Mike, I just wanted to congratulate Thank you. Thank you, Thank you, Don. Thank you, Don. Thank you for the great. Okay. Uh, hold on a second. I'm on the phone right now. Uh, our good buddy, Chad Palmer Berry. Chad. Hi, Mike. Doug. And how are you, Mike? You guys have really orchestrated such a wonderful... And, uh, Chaz, uh, Chaz, you and I have, uh, done a lot of benefits together. You and I, Doug, uh, just... Briefly tell us about how you started listening to us. Well, we were on the set of Mark's Tale, and I had listened sporadically uh, to both of you guys. And I was eating a nice uh, rotini with bolognese, listening to you guys do your picks, which, by the way, you, you got most of the games wrong. Oh, come on, Chad, that's not true, Chad. You, uh... You like to embellish, you like to be a little silly, you like to be willy-nilly and loosey-goosey, but that... Let him talk, let him talk, let him talk. But you know, guys, I listen to you. Mike, I think there's a lot of avenues for you 
inactive. I think you could be in a lot of these uh, shows that are on now on the cable side of the ledger, Netflix, and in the movies. I think you've got, you could deliver a line. Uh, uh, I've been told that. And uh, my hair is just... Oh, Mike, you got great hair. And delivering, there's a lot of things Mike gets delivered, uh, uh, as well as chocolates and candies and uh, pizza and chicken and... Chad, Chad, you make an excellent point. Uh, now, your thoughts, Chad, on Mike's opportunities in the future. What should he be doing? Do Sunday night baseball? Sunday? Uh, could he do Monday night baseball? Maybe then go on football and maybe be a GM or be a pitching coach or a dugout manager? Or be maybe the, new, the next Giants quarterback if it doesn't work out with Eli? Well, maybe that be uh, coach on the sidelines. Your thoughts? Um, I think uh, Mike uh, right now has got a good career too singing. La 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 la. Elton. Uh, all right, quick. Let's go to John uh, Putnam County. John, go ahead. This is uh, Elton John Sterling. How are you? Isn't that amazing? Oh, my God. It's me, too, Susan. My God. Oh, the, the horror, John, of not being able to hear Mike anymore in the afternoon. I'd like to thank you for your career. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? You know, you can't figure radio, you know? You know, you... You know, I've been number one, John, over 30 years. And I haven't missed the Yankees broadcast in 30 years. We have a lot in common, Mike. Let's... Grab hands here and grab our top hats and canes and do a little dancing. Whoa! Like the conference table. Oh, step into Christmas with me. Oh, God! Hi, it's Gary Delabarte. I brought my turntable, too. Vinyl. We can watch this, no? Fall forever and ever. Freaking be merry, come along with me. Step into Christmas. Be admitted. Of course, what would a broadcast be without uh, a call from one of these lovely gals uh, who's been calling me for over 30 years? Uh, Lisa and Whitestone. Lisa, go ahead. Uh, Hi, Mike. How are you, dear? Good. I just got the biscottis uh, uh, and the pizzas all big, and I just wanted to commend you for your career um, you never had me in the studio but that's okay when you honored your long time call well hey listen that happens you know, I thought some callers are better uh, from the phone okay and the illusion that you never have to see them is Mike I love you um, I wanted to talk about the Yankees really going out and acquiring J.D. Martinez because they're going to have trouble with home run power from there. Wait a second, this isn't. From their infield. This isn't Lisa. Okay, this is you think I'm you think I'm buying that accent? Mike, it's Jerome from Manhattan. You baby the Yankees have to get a slugger to 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 fill in the void at second base. Jamie Martinez can play second base. Mike he hits the ball to right field. He would make that bad box Yankee stadium. Mike, they have to side you Alright, wait wait a second. I love you, Mike. I love you. Well, that was weird, okay? So this guy just comes on and screams like that. But, uh, hey, listen, it takes all kinds. That's what made the show as great as it was over the years. Mike, that was excellent. Big up. Well, that was very, that was not poorly produced. That was excellent job there. Excellent. 
because Eddie got his hands on it. No, Eddie hasn't been with us for a few years. Okay. Okay. Uh, Mike, uh, nice to have a moment here just to talk a little bit. I love you, Mike. I love you too, dog. Don, you still there? Yes, uh, I'm uh, lovely, um, servant, uh, lovely, that, that summer is the hour. Uh, listen. Whack, whack. Uh, you still got, um, those, uh, trains there, Mike, that you like to... Uh, I do have, I don't have the trains here. Uh, we didn't bring them in this year. We've been, uh, we've been packing up and going. Uh, okay, so, uh, all right, Mike, I'll, I'll be also talk to you soon. I love you. Thank you, Don. So long as it's just you and me to finish up here. And, uh, I wouldn't have it in the way. My God, this is a little bit, uh, a little bit touching for me. Uh, I love you. Uh, with all my heart, you know, my, we had our difficulties at times. There was a year and a half we didn't even talk. We did the show too, but like we did two separate shows because I didn't like the, you didn't like the fact that I kept your name out when you went on vacation after our first nine months together. And uh, we got over that. We got over a lot of our problems, contract issues. That's going to do it for The Bridge. You can listen to this show and all previous shows over on my website at londonbridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can also follow me on Twitter under that same handle, at London Bridge. You can find The Bridge on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast. There you'll find the newest episodes of The Bridge every Wednesday night. And also, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. You can also find The Bridge on Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can listen to a brand new show on Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time by searching for Sports Radio America on TuneIn. In the next installment of The Bridge, we'll dabble in the NBA, dive into Major League Baseball, circle the wagons of the National Football League, and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve. On The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Thank you.